Well, good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Sunrise. My name is Jeff, and uh, I'm filling in for Dan Dupuy, the uh, worship director here, as I do from time to time. So it's great to see you all again. We're very grateful that you're here. We're very grateful you're in the building. We're also uh, thankful for those of you online that are joining us. Uh, you're here with us digitally, and uh, that's really awesome that we can be together over great distances. We're also together with all the other people of, uh, you know, God's people that are in different churches today. And that's also a blessing, especially now with Easter right around the corner. We're entering Holy Week, and we have one week to go before we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes. It's a good, good week. And so we want to sing about that a little bit. We're going to sing some songs of praise and joy. We're going to sing some slower ones that might be a little more contemplative, but all of it is in service of Easter and remembering what God has done for us. So I invite you to stand this morning. We're going to kick things off with a song called Glorious Day. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my tomb Till I met
Stop the Lord. 
can stop the Lord Almighty? Who 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 can stop the
Yes, Lord. You are here with us this morning and every morning. And we thank you for your steadfastness, for your love, and for the gift of the cross, God, where you washed away our sins. Not because of anything we did, Lord, but because of your Son, because of your mercy and grace. We love you. Amen. Jeff and band, thank you very much. Everybody else, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Sunrise. Whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for a while, you're in the room or you're online, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is Dan, and uh, it's great to see you. Um, We have QR codes on the seats in front of you, and if you're joining us online, there will be a link that comes up that uh, will lead you to not this QR code, but the place that this QR code takes you, which is a fantastic place where you can ask questions about us, you can share a little bit of information about us. Basically, it's like a Swiss army knife kind of tool where you can find out whatever it is you need to from us, and we can support you in any way that you think is helpful. So find your way there at some point during the service. Uh, again, those QR codes are up on the screen right now. They're on the chairs in front of you. You'll find all kinds of things that are there. I want to make you aware of two announcements. First of all, it's Holy Week. And so this Friday is Good Friday. At 6.30, here in this space, we will get together to have a contemplative time to celebrate Good Friday. Now, for those of you who don't know what Good Friday is, that is the night that we celebrate Jesus' death. So a lot of people ask the question, how in the world is that good? Well, come on Friday night at 6.30, and we will talk about that. If you're online, you haven't been in our building in a while... I want to challenge you to consider coming on Good Friday. That's this Friday at 6.30, and you will definitely want to be in the room for Easter, which is next Sunday. Now, next Easter, kids, you're going to want to hear this. Kids, are you in the room? Let me hear you. There are no kids in this room. Kids, let me hear you. Say hi. Tell me your favorite. Okay, here's what we'll do. On the count of three, I want you to yell as loud as you can if you're a kid your favorite color, then I'll at least know that you're in the room, okay? Think about your favorite color. Think about it. Think about it. Ready? One, two, three. Say it. All right, cool. So, kids, you're in the room. What is next Sunday? What's the holiday we're celebrating next Sunday, kids? Easter. (laughs) Okay, what is the most fantastic thing kids can do on Easter? One kid is excited about an Easter egg hunt. One child wants to do an egg hunt. (laughs) Next Sunday, after church, here at Sunrise Ministries, you don't have to drive to Indiana. You don't have to go to Muskegon. You don't have to go to Grand Rapids. All you have to do is come here. There's an Easter egg hunt for you kids. Kids, look at your adult and tell them, next Sunday, there's an Easter egg hunt at church. Let me hear you say it. Go ahead. Say it to them. All right, cool. That's next Sunday. Easter Sunday. We're going to have a great time together celebrating Easter. All right, so uh, at this point in the service, I want to have everybody stand up again. I know we just stood up and sang. Many of us did. Go ahead and stand up if you want to. If you need to, if you're an introvert, our bathrooms are right through the door there, down the hallway a little bit. There's coffee you can grab. Kids, this is your time to go back to your spaces with volunteers. The rest of us will interact with each other in whatever way is helpful and appropriate for you. So let's do that. We're glad you guys are here.
All right, guys. Go ahead and make yourselves comfortable. I assume that will be by taking a seat. Okay, so this is the Lenten season. The Lenten season being that time that the church has set up a season of time to celebrate the 40 days leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the church, for a long time, has taken the time each year to build into its calendar these 40 days so that the church has the opportunity to contemplatively walk through those 40 days with Jesus spiritually. And so that's what we have been doing here at Sunrise. And this morning, we are landing on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday being the day that Jesus walks into a very busy and becoming increasingly overcrowded city called Jerusalem. And there's something significant that happens on that day. And that's what we're looking at this morning. This morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. Mark being simply the name of a letter that was written by someone named Mark to a group of people who wanted to learn about Jesus. And Mark took the time to share his own thoughts about Jesus, how it was he saw Jesus live and what he taught. And we're going to look at a portion of what Mark wrote this morning with this being a guiding question for us. It's in the bottom right of the screen. In what ways might I welcome Jesus into my life this holy week? In what ways might I invite Jesus into my life this holy week? Jesus is just like all of the people who were finding their way to Jerusalem on the one hand. And on the other hand, He was entirely different and walks into the city of Jerusalem carrying with him something that is valuable and being offered to everyone else, not only who is in Jerusalem like we are in this room right now, but also to those who would come into the space of Jerusalem only spiritually, just like those who are in this space right now technologically. And so we'll discover together what that is with our guiding question again being this, in what ways might I welcome Jesus into my life this holy week? God, we come to you this morning as a people who want to follow Jesus well. We see in the person of Jesus not just a picture of you, a representation of you, but we believe that we see you. And so we come to you this morning during this time, much like the people who walked and rode animals miles and miles and miles to get to Jerusalem with the hopes that they would see and discover in your spiritual presence something that brings life. And so God, in this time, would you transform us with your grace and with your love so that we can do the same in the world around us. In Christ's name, amen. In Mark Chapter 11, we find these words. When the disciples brought the colt to Jesus, this is, according to Mark, we don't know exactly what kind of animal this is. If you look at other gospels, this is a donkey, but the language of colt, it could be a horse. What we immediately realize then with Mark is that it doesn't really matter exactly what the animal is, but the humility that is being expressed specifically by Jesus in this part of the story. Jesus, uh, when the disciples brought the colt to Jesus, And threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, 
while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. These are words we've heard so many times on Palm Sundays of years past that we don't even really know for sure exactly what it is that they mean. And quite frankly, we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time figuring out exactly what they mean because I think what we're being invited to do by Mark is to place ourselves in the sandals of the people who found their way to this scene. People who were Jewish would celebrate Passover every year. Passover was the time for God's people to celebrate God's goodness, His faithfulness, His presence to His own people. And so from all corners of their world, people would travel. And they would walk in groups like this through thirsty landscapes where the physical world around them seemed to represent the internal and relational, emotional worlds, vocational worlds that they had walked through in the weeks and the months leading up to this journey. And they would walk in groups of various sizes. People walking with their kids who maybe, like some this morning, were being carried by their parents or were walking with their parents or were latched onto the back of one of their parents. There were people who were walking without a spouse that they walked through the desert on the way to Jerusalem with last year. There were people walking who had not had a good circle of friends with them in their hometown, and yet while they were walking to this place of Jerusalem to find fulfillment spiritually, they found a community of people who would walk with them to help them traverse the long, dusty, bumpy, sandal-breaking walk. And as they walked, they would notice there wasn't a whole lot of vegetation around them. I mean, if you have been to Israel, you know that around a lot of it is just dust. But as you get closer to the city of Jerusalem, you begin to find small sprouts of life coming up. You find a tree like this, which you can't tell super clearly, at least in this room. I don't know if online you can tell. It's actually green. It's not brown, <laughs> like its background. But like many of us, as we have walked through these 40 days of the Lenten season, we have found the metaphorical tulips coming up out of the ground. The small, quiet spaces where the life that God brings somehow breaks through the tough, almost asphalt, concrete-like life that we traverse. And you can begin to feel a sense of gathering excitement, of anticipation, of we're getting closer and closer to getting to the city, to the place where not only David, our forefather, had a home, but where our loving king who is coming back will also establish a home for his people. And as we get closer and closer and closer to that city, we can see the signs of life, if we pay attention, beginning to sprout up. And as you get closer and closer to the city of Jerusalem, of course, you can take all kinds of different routes, but there were routes that were taken that likely led them through spaces like this. 
where you find an oasis. You find a space of shade, of flowing water. You've walked through a life, you've walked through a literal journey on your way to Jerusalem, and what you need most is a place that can give you shelter from the scorching sun, a place where you can refill your water bottle, a place where you can just sit and relax. This morning before our service started, our band got together like we do every Sunday morning and we prayed in the office space. And as most of us walked back there, we walked in on one of the band players, one of the members who was just sitting there. And as we walked in, he said, I'm just sitting in the quiet. I don't get much quiet at home. You know as well as I do, when you find the shady spaces of life where there is life that you can see, where you can see and hear and appreciate the nature that is offered in a space where the ecology that is required for life to exist is there, there's something that settles your soul and helps you recognize that it is spaces like this that our lives and our hearts spiritually, emotionally, and relationally long for. And you don't want to leave those spaces. When you find those spaces, you sit and you enjoy the shade that's there. You see the animals that are camouflaged, yet still somehow poking out enough for you to see them. But there's more of the journey to walk you still got to get to Jerusalem. There's, there's still something to celebrate. And so even though you found something that you want, that you want to keep, that you don't want to let go of because you're not sure what exists between this part of the journey and that part of the journey, what the valleys will look like, what the sharp rocks will look like, you still get up and you walk closer and closer, one foot after another with whoever it is that's around you toward the space where Jesus is going to be. So you get up and you leave and you eventually get to the place where you can see the city that you've been walking toward. This is Jerusalem. This is the view from the Mount of Olives. You can see here in the foreground the branches that are there, the vegetation that's there that wraps the city. And it's over the valley here that you Uh, you look over the valley to the city, and in that valley, here in the the bottom part of that screen, let me see if I can write on this again, if I can remember how to do that. Here in this area, that's a gravesite. That's where you have boxes of bones of your spiritual ancestors who had walked the same paths that you walk to get to the place where you hope to find refreshment. And you literally look through their stories, through your memories of their lives, to see the city that you long to inhabit, even if only for a short time. And there's a richness that comes from this. 
followers of Jesus, you are not walking alone through these 40 days of Lent. You are not walking alone through the deserts of life where you trip on rocks. You're not walking alone through those oases where you find refreshment for a period of time and need to leave that in order to pursue something better. You are walking with a group of people who you can see right now, but you are walking with the spiritual mothers and fathers and grandpas and aunts and uncles and nephews and nieces who have gone before us and have sought to find the same sense of life and of hope and of transformation in the same place that you long to be. So this physical journey toward this city of David is extremely meaningful in so many ways. It's David who has been the George Washington of Israel. It is David who has been king. He is the one who literally squashed the enemies of Israel. He is the one who brought security, who brought identity, who brought culture to the people of God who had longed for so long to be in a place where they could settle, where they could be kings and queens and live comfortably. And so even today, Jerusalem is known as the city of David. There's a huge sense of excitement nationally of getting to the place of Jerusalem. There's a huge sense of excitement spiritually of getting to the place of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, to be there when the Son of God, the one who is promised, also comes to Jerusalem. And it's in that mix of anticipation that people can get confused and much more encouraged at the exact same time. I said to you that King David is kind of like the George Washington of Israel. Now, that's not exactly an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but the point is we all know who George Washington is. And there are lots of people in national America who will point to years past, to leaders of the past, who seem to know what it looked like to make America a great country to make it exactly the way that we think that it should be, and we long for that kind of a leader to come back to America and be the leader, right? And we don't say this out loud very much, but there has been language, if you look for it, if you read it on social media, of people who are longing for a certain kind of America to return. The golden years, when things are as they were supposed to have been and where they will remain the same forever. And we put all of our hope in the kind of person that we think will come and bring that as the leader of America. Same kind of thing was happening for people in Israel who longed for a national identity of Israel to be restored. And so they would come to the city of Jerusalem through the lens, through the eyeball of nationalistic triumph. But then you had people who walked the same journey who looked through a different lens of a spiritual triumph. They saw in the person of David, not a king who would come, a president who would come, who would bring a national presence of Israel back to what it should have been, but would usher into this spiritual place of Israel and other kingdoms a freedom, a loveliness, a perfectness, a sense of life that springs up in the midst of great trials and difficulties. They longed to find someone who was spiritually like David, who had the heart that followed God. 
So you have a mixture of people who were coming to this space, seeing this sign of you're almost to the city of David, just turn right, who were coming with hopes of nationalistic triumph and people who were coming with hopes of spiritual refreshment and of new life. And as you get into the city, you find what it is that you've been hoping for, these cramped spaces, these markets where you can buy what it is you couldn't buy out in the desert. Your trinkets that you would take back home to show your friends who couldn't come, your neighbors who couldn't come, what it is that you were able to purchase, which you experienced as you walked into Jerusalem. And so arriving at Jerusalem in this place where Mark says that Jesus comes riding on a donkey would have been the summation of a long, arduous, feet filled with blisters probably, Hind end, not comfortable from riding on a donkey for a long time. Sun burns on your face. Dust all over in places of your body you didn't know that you had. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus comes. How many of you have gone to tulip time in Holland? If you live in Holland, you hate tulip time. If you're visiting Holland for tulip time, you love it. You go for the tulips. You go for the elephant ears. I don't know what else you go for, but you go for those things. But while you're in Holland for tulip time, it's harder to find parking. You're going to wait longer to get into De Boer's for breakfast than you normally have to. There are just things that you are not able to do because there are people around. There's lots of noise. There's movement. There are too many people in too small of a space. And the same kind of thing is true here in this episode where Jesus comes into town. And yet somehow in the midst of all of the fanfare, in the midst of all of the busyness, the smells of the incense, the smells of body odor, the sounds of children running and playing and parents saying, don't go too far, come back, and merchants yelling and trying to get your attention to buy things from me, there are people who notice Jesus coming in on a donkey and in response, they spread their cloaks on the road. These cloaks being what it was that offered shelter to them as they walked the long journey to Jerusalem. And they see Jesus coming on a colt, and their response is not to say, Hey, good to see you. Parking's that way. But they take off what has protected them and they lay it on the ground for a colt to walk on. If you've seen a horse in a parade, you know that not far behind said horses are people carrying shovels. Because horses drop things as they walk. Everyone knows this. But everyone who knows this, who's standing there and takes off their cloak, willingly lays it down on the ground to be walked on by a horse or a donkey, who drops things. Why? Why would they do this? Other people, they didn't have cloaks with them or 
for whatever reason, they spread branches that they cut off in the fields. They could have been palm leaves, like we often say, and there are gospel writers who say that they were palm leaves, but they could have just as easily been waves of barley branches or corn stalks that were put onto the ground. The point was, we have to find whatever it is that we can to make the entry of Jesus into this space as royal, as special, as smooth as possible, because this is God's presence coming to Jerusalem, and it requires that we give him whatever it is that we have to make his entry here exactly what it should be. And that poses a question for us. Mark doesn't write the question with letters, but he writes it by painting a compelling picture. What do you lay down? What do you give up? What do you take off of yourself that you use as shelter? What do you find in the fields as insignificant as you or other people might find them to be to lay down on the road, to lay down on the pathway into Jerusalem, into the space where God should inhabit a land, what do you lay down and say, I don't care what happens to it. I will give it up for the sake of Jesus' entry. You have people who go ahead of Jesus and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna! This word has a few things packed into it. It's great joy for something that's happening. They're excited. It's like their team has won the World Series after 108 years. But there's also a deep, simultaneous sense of this is only happening because of God in heaven. There's no other way that this could happen. God, we are excited that you are causing something completely unique and amazing and refreshing to happen right now. God, this is the best thing we could have ever imagined, and you're doing it. This is on the lips of the people who have traveled for miles and days to get to this city, and they find Jesus, and it is him who prompts them to say, God, you are doing something even greater than the Cubs winning the World Series which no matter what happens in life, the Cubs will always be the 2006 world champions. Don't forget that. They also shout out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now we can pack a whole lot of spiritual significance into this. The truth of the matter is, this would have been a very common saying to welcome anyone into your home or into your city, into your small group or into your church. It would have been a very authentic way of saying, we're glad that you're here. Pause button for a moment. Another question that Mark, I think, packs into this story for us is, how do you respond? What are the words on your lips when Jesus enters a space that you inhabit? Do we respond to those moments of clarity where we recognize that some of the things that we have valued maybe aren't as valuable? Do we respond in that moment with, God, I'm glad that you just showed up in this space. Or do we respond with, well, that was a nasty burrito that's talking back. Do we respond with, wait, 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 that doesn't align with the nationalistic view that I have of who Jesus should be. 
Because then I have to give up these things that the people around me really celebrate and love? Or do we respond with the kind of humility that Jesus expresses by coming into his own city, his own city, the place that Jesus rightfully owned? He comes into it on a donkey, on a horse, on a colt. When he could have come in with great fanfare and yelled louder than all of the noise that was around him, I'm here! He instead comes in quietly and humbly. Do we respond the same way when Jesus comes into our lives? Do we respond with, you know what, I will be the kind of person who chooses a colt over a Cadillac? They also shout out, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And here is the great hope that these people have, both through the lens of a nationalistic identity, a nationalistic freedom, a nationalistic reestablishment of who they are, and a spiritual hope that these people have. And there are people in the room who are grabbing onto one or the other or both. And there are people in this room, whether virtually or physically, who are grabbing onto one or the other, sometimes both, but one of them is strongest. Some of us come into this space and we hope that Jesus will come back as a king on a colt, but with a long train of tanks and anti-tank missiles and all of the stuff that we're sending over to Ukraine following him in order to overcome and squash all of the ungodliness that we see in this country. We think that God loves America enough that he's going to come to America to make America what it was in 1776. And we vote that way. And we populate our Facebook pages that way. Jesus doesn't come with politicians or policy or with military behind him. He doesn't come announcing his platform. He comes quietly on a donkey to offer a spiritual newness. He says, yes, this is the city of David that you have come to, and you can see the beauty of it on a hill from far away where the city looks white, and you've got a golden dome over it as you see it today. But he doesn't come in saying, look at all of this stuff. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what taxes are going to look like. This is how we're going to treat people who are immigrants. No, he comes in and he shows what it means to be God. Shows what it means to be someone who follows him. Simply someone who comes in focused more on being spiritually available to the people around him than to be triumphantly in control of recreating a nation that people value so much. So a question that everyone who is around Jesus has to answer is this. Let me go back to our first slide. In what ways might I welcome Jesus into my life this holy week? Every one of these people who are in this episode, standing around and following Jesus or leading the way in front of Jesus as he enters into and finds his place where he's going to stay in Jerusalem, are internally, whether they know it or not, wrestling with this question themselves. Who is Jesus? 
Why is he here? Why am I here? We are not in Jerusalem, but we ourselves are in this Holy Week. We are celebrating spiritually being present there on this Palm Sunday where we recognize that Jesus is among us. He is among us in a way that maybe some of us are not very satisfied because he doesn't seem to be coming as a conqueror, but he is among us as one who is humbly sitting on a colt and in this story says nothing. And yet there are people who are around him saying, we will welcome him here by responding we will respond to him by welcoming him with taking off what it is we've used to shelter ourselves for the sake of him being here. You have people who are running in front of him because they know that more people up there are going to see him soon and they're saying, there's something back here that God is doing and it's amazing and you have to be ready for it. And there are people who are around who are saying, God, you are so good. There's no one else who could provide in this world anything like this, and you're the one who's done it. How will we respond to Jesus' arrival in our lives? All of these people who were here are at some point probably going to pack up their things and go home. Not many of these folks actually lived in Jerusalem. They're going to go back to their work weeks. They're going to walk past the spaces of oasis that brought them life, and they're going to settle back into routine. At some point, you've got to pack up and go back to life in a way where hopefully you have soaked up your experience in Jerusalem here at Passover in such a way that you bring a sense of life back into the world with you. And so Jesus comes on a colt, to Jerusalem, a place that people are coming with all kinds of ideas of what should be happening, and he comes humbly and quietly. And that is enough to prompt in all of us some kind of response. Will we respond with pride about our own ideas of what it is Jesus should be doing or what it is he should be bringing? Or will we respond with humility? Identifying the things in our life that have meant the most to us in our journey so far in order to give them up for the sake of Jesus making it into the world around us. I want to close with this prayer. All-powerful, eternal God, you have chosen to give mankind a model of humility Our Savior took on our flesh and subjected himself to the cross. Grant us the grace to preserve faithfully the lessons he has given us in his passion and to have a share in his resurrection. This we ask of you through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Well, as we uh, sing one last song together, I want to invite you to uh, give back to God if you feel so led through an offering. We have a spot you can do that in the back. Um, I believe it's a bucket or a box or something. It's, it's labeled. You'll see it. <laughs>
And uh, you can also do that online as well. The QR code in front of you will get us to the website and the menu there. You can find the donate area. And I think there will also be a link that comes up on the stream. So, again, if you feel so led to give back to God the gifts that he's given you, we invite you to do that uh, at the end of the service. For now, let's give the gift of song and sing one last song together. I invite you guys to stand. Cause you know 
I don't know what the terrain of your life spiritually looks like as you walk closer to Easter, as you arrive here on Palm Sunday, recognizing that Jesus comes into this space humbly. I don't know how rocky it has been for you. I don't know what oases you have found or are still thirsting to find. But I do know this. The last person Luke tells us Jesus saw before he comes to the city of Jerusalem is a short little guy named Zacchaeus who was a dirty, rotten scoundrel not loved by anyone in his community. And Jesus told him, I want to eat a meal with you. No matter where you have been, what your journey has looked like, Jesus comes and says to you, I want to have a meal with you. I want to be with you. He doesn't do it shaking his fist at you. He does it humbly on a back of a horse. So this week, how can you invite Jesus into your life? Our hope is that as you do that, your life is transformed by God's grace and love and you walk into a new week refreshed by and equipped with the transforming grace and love of Jesus. Have a great week, Sunrise. We love you. Celebrate Holy Week this week with us.